Welcome to Subtimes Dead is Better, and it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we're on our third part of our Steven Spielberg trilogy, which you're like, wait a minute, this is a horror movie podcast. Uh, well, um, it's our podcast, too, so we can do what we want. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but we just really wanted to do a few of these Spielberg movies that aren't necessarily horror, but they're still scary. And they're yeah. movies. And I mean, honestly, any one of these movies are probably scarier than half the other movies that we've done. You know, if, even if they're not labeled. Horror. I mean, what is scarier than Jaws, honestly? I mean, case closed. I think that one is definitely considered horror because I got one of those cool pop chart posters, which I posted on our Instagram. Yes, where, that was awesome. Where like you scrape off. Like there, there's a there's a million of them. There's all the beers you've ever drank, all the places you want to go. But I got the horror movie one, and so you scratch off which horror movies you've seen, and there's a hundred of them on there. And I think we've done twenty three. That's great for our podcast. I think I've seen maybe fifty three, but I didn't scratch those off because I was going to wait and scratch them off for when we do them on the podcast. And Jaws was on there. Well, good. Yeah. Well, now we have a way of going about and picking our next movies. Yeah, maybe. Question is, any of you the vampire on there? <laughs> I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Teaser. <laughs> oh, and it's War of the Worlds, by the way. What'd I say? No, I, I'm just saying we never said it at all. Oh, yeah. War of the Worlds. <laughs> and I will tell you, I have not seen this since the movie theater and back in 2005. And that's shocking. Yeah. Not that you haven't I, seen it's it. It's just one of those that, that I never watched again. I remember really enjoying it i think i was more affected by brian's reaction because brian loved it until certain things transpired and he felt that it went downhill and he was really disappointed and so i think i kind of felt more the way he felt at that time Rewatching it again those same things that disappointed me the first time disappointed me but the awesome things were worth it to me we're going back to that same theme of I'll watch Jurassic World if I get to see an Endoraptor pick up a guy and eat his eat him like an ice cream cone. That's fine. I'll ignore the other stuff. Right, right. So that's how I felt watching this. Yeah, I, I kind of have a similar reaction. I, I remember, uh, but I remember generally uh, really liking it. But at the same time, I don't think I watched it again for several years. Kind of what started the whole Spielberg trip dig, really just so I could lead up to this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you watch War of the Worlds wanted to do that movie but you had to like work backwards to figure out how <laughs> you could do it i had that to justify was, it somehow <laughs> <laughs> like these chess moves you had like you've been watching the queen's gambit again yeah well i had done and thank you for <laughs> saying that i'm good at chess i think that um each my point is each time i watch this movie it's sort of grown in my estimation of it the first time you kind of really just get the spectacle of it i would think especially since it's you know we saw in the theater and you know big action scenes and there's also the whole tom cruise of it all at that time that was when he yeah. first uh and I, you know we're not going to talk about anything that he may or may not have said around that time because i don't want to be sued by a certain group and they will do that and we're public figures in a way so i'm just not gonna get sued 
There's but, no way they would come after us. But they're so crazy they might. They are crazy. Yeah, they, they may do some, I feel like they may do some sort of Google algorithm, find people who are talking about an unnamed group and sue their asses. It, it, we'll, we'll just say that in 2005, Tom Cruise was a... Controversial a, figure. A bit off his rocker. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> You're a lawyer. It's okay. We'll be fine. Um, I just don't want to deal with it. But I remember... The movie was kind of clouded by all that, and I feel like that was the last Tom Cruise movie I saw for a while because it was just so like kind of gross. And then, and then at some point, that kind of—I mean, I guess really didn't go away. But it's too bad it seemed to end his working relationship with Steven Spielberg. Yeah, that was kind of sad. Um, if true, I mean, I, I saw a few definitely uh, stories about that. I mean, they didn't do anything else together. But, yeah, I guess it is true. Yeah, and he moved on to Tom Hanks. That was his. Mm. Yeah, rebound. get another Tom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can get another Tom in here like that. Yeah. You hear me, Cruz? <laughs> <laughs> An interesting uh, movie for its time. And in a way, it's kind of, it, I feel like it can be kind of resonant with each sort of, kind of for whatever's going on at the time. It's certainly kind of resonant now in kind of odd ways, but it was definitely yeah. probably overlooked to some extent how kind of what that movie was, was responding to. I mean, it is kind of bold to make a movie like that in New York yeah. four years after 9-11. Yeah, and I was kind of looking at the history of, uh, like, last night I Googled 9-11 movies, and then the FBI called me. <laughs> <laughs> but I was trying to figure out, like, the timeline of all that, because there was, you know, no one really addressed it too quickly. I mean, I'm sure there's some, like, TV movies and documentaries and that type of thing. So you had, like, 993, but that wasn't until 2006, and then you had that... Oliver Stone movie, World Trade Center, that I completely forgot about. That was also With 2006. Nick Cage. Yeah, Nick Cage. <laughs> also 2006. That was even after this movie. So in looking at all the movies, this is one of the first movies that really, without being about 9-11, sort of, you know, explicitly, not okay, not explicitly, but address 9-11 in any real way, I think, you know, outside of maybe some documentaries or something. One of the first things that Dakota Fanning's character said was, is it the terrorists right, right. again? Yeah. And why wouldn't you think that's what it was for sure? Just yeah. four years after this. Yeah. And so I wonder, like, he watches, I, I mean, I think now you kind of, you know, still kind of get that. But 20 years from now, hopefully, maybe that reference will be like, what's she talking about? Uh, <laughs> right, right. But it, it makes sense. You don't have to even think about it in, the, in 2005. Yeah, she's like, what is that? That's you talking about Loki? Like the Avengers? <laughs> or? But it's also not in that same way as Independence Day, where we see things just get blowed up for fun. Yeah. This movie is much more gritty, I guess. I mean... Yeah, this movie, I, I know, well, I, you know, without getting too much into it, I feel like this movie takes on the imagery and the ideas, if that makes sense, of 9-11 more so than any particular story or agenda of it. Like, it's not... Right. It's not really commenting on the terrorism or the or any particular political part of it. And it's not trying to make you form any kind of ideas about what happened on 11. It's trying to make you deal with 9-11 on a sort of emotional level, mostly based on images. Because everybody mm -hmm. at that time, four years later, you would think, I mean, uh, I was reading some old reviews and people somehow missed this. But I mean, like the imagery is so much on the nose, especially the first, you know, 20 minutes or so from that sort of ground zero 9-11. They get hit by a plane. Yeah, I mean, Tom Cruise is covered with dust at one point. You know, the, yeah. the Ground Zero dust. I mean, and he, there's a whole scene about that. And it's people. Right. Okay, now we're getting wasted. Okay, let's. Yeah, we're already there. Okay, first, remember, first we talk about what else we've been watching. Yes. Apparently, we've just been watching this movie <laughs> over and over again. All right, well, so go first about what else you've been watching, Chris. 
Okay, well, I'm cheating a little bit because uh, I've been watching, I mean, I've been watching all kinds of things, but mostly or the news or whatever. But uh, what I, one of the things I did start doing recently, uh, because it comforts me and relaxes me, is I started rereading uh, The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think it was inspired by wa- just watching the movies uh, about a month ago. And uh, and I haven't read these books or book since, uh, I don't know, college, probably 20 years ago. And I find it very relaxing. It's a, you know, it's a gentle, I mean, it's a violent tale. And, you know, it, all the things that happen in the movies more or less happen in the books. But at the same time, it's very it's a very sort of gentle tale about people just traveling from one location to the next, eating lots of meals. <laughs> and, that does uh, sound like very comforting yeah. to go back to something like that. Right. That and you and I look just, fondly on. And I just love sort of being in that world, as nerdy as that is. Like you know, there's just it's such a travelogue of these fake but very real locations and sort of this author's mind. And I guess when you've seen the movies, you can kind of more easily imagine them. But there's just whole chapters about like the trees and and just pages and pages of all these, you know, meals that the hobbits eat. And it just completely soothes me. Well, I I hate to ruin all for you, but did you happen to see my friend Gabby Watts' new video? No. Gabby Watts does our theme song, obviously. And she just released a video called I'd Fuck Everybody in Middle Earth. (laughs) (laughs) Well, can you send it to me? Yeah. And she goes through every single character. And what, how they were in bed. So I'll have to send that to you. <laughs> Please do. She's a nut. I love her. It's just a very chill, relaxing, lovely thing to do uh, for a couple hours a day if you have time. I highly recommend oh. it. Well, that's very nice. That's what I've been watching. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about doing the same thing with the John Krakauer books. Because mm. I love Into Thin Air and I love Into the Wild. And it was the 25th anniversary of him writing Into the Wild and so I started rewatching the movie Into the Wild, which kind of chastised me because I've forgotten that Eddie Vedder did the music yeah, to it. Which is, you know, most people know that. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, like, what I've been watching, like, I mean, I've been watching Bridgerton. How's I'm that? not very far into that. I love it. Okay. I didn't even realize it was by Shondaland. You know, Sh- Shonda Rhimes is the executive producer. Just tell me that. I'm in. So far, I love it. But I also binged the Netflix documentary Night Stalker. Okay, that's what I was going to ask you about. Um, about Richard Ramirez. Yeah, but who am I, I think talking it's to? Four parts. <laughs> I did not know all that about him. Like I know I've listened to in-depth podcasts about him, so I'm sure I knew it at some point, and I blocked it. But the fact that he went after everybody from children to senior citizens and everything in between was shocking to me. I'd forgotten that. Now. The documentary itself is not my favorite. I love that they have the actual detectives. I mean, what else could you ask for to have the people who are actually there working it? They have surviving victims, which is very powerful. But I just think it's a little... Schlocky or something. Yeah. I don't think you need to show crime scene photos and reenact the crime scene pictures and have, like, blood dripping and have the victim's family members talk or even survivors speak. That's just, you don't need all that. What are you trying to make here? Is this like a ID channel thing that you're just trying to get views on? Are you are are you really trying to take a deep look at this serial killer and also California and what they were going through in the 80s? I liked getting all the information. I'm just not sure I enjoyed the way it was given to me. I kind of felt icky after yeah, well, I watched the trailer for, you know, Pound the Back, uh, and I kind of got 
a little bit of that sense. So I was going to watch it the other night. And I thought, well, I don't know if I want to do this. I'll just go back to Middle Earth. <laughs> but uh, I, I do, I do want to see it. Um, but it sounds like maybe you've been spoiled, spoiled a little bit by um, I will. Is it I will follow you in the dark? Or? Yeah, it's definitely. That's that was kind of the crim of the crim, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. It's hard to go from that. It's not terrible. I wouldn't say don't watch it. But just be prepared. It's it's pretty intense. More into the violence when you could go so much deeper than that. I don't know. I feel like there's kind of scratched the surface. I definitely remember him from my you know true crime time life book from high school. He was like right. number I'm two. Sure. <laughs> oh my god! All right. So what are we drinking to go with War of the Worlds? I think we only had Tim Robbins drinking something. Maybe yeah. Tom Cruise had a beer in his fridge. I think I Tom like Cruise actually had a beer. Yeah. So I looked tonight for some UFO-themed beers. I know there are some. I mean, I I know there's not really a UFO movie exactly. Oh, yeah. One of my favorite pumpkin beers is UFO. Well, I went to a, the Piggly Wiggly and uh, couldn't really find anything like that. But then I decided, well, who cares? So what I got, because um, I, we should also say that we're recording this on January 19th, 2020. And tomorrow oh. is the inaugur- inauguration day. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a brand new president. I think everyone knows where our politics lie, even if they didn't. Um, who cares? I mean, Donald Trump's horrible. Everyone knows this. Yeah. So I found this great beer. Um, it's called Heretic, and it says, Make America Juicy Again. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And it's a New England-style India Pale Ale. So New England, okay, that's my War of the World connection. But my, <laughs> but my main connection is just uh, to celebrate, uh, you know, the, the new day that is tomorrow. We're, we're done with Donald Trump. Yes. Um, sort of. Mute him, please. Sort of. He's around. And then apparently we have uh, all these crazy followers, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, so much madness. But tomorrow it's going to be a good day, I think. So I thought, you know, why not just celebrate that and uh, not worry about finding an, an uh, alien beer because I just honestly couldn't find one. And I want to try great. this. I really want to try this. And it's delicious, I will say. So to um, give them some sort of shout out, it's called Heretic Brewing Company. God, I hope these aren't like pro-Trumpers. <laughs> That'd be terrible. <laughs> I don't think it is. I think this is ironic. But it's Heretic yeah. Brewing Company. It's out of um, Fairfield, California. Mar-a-Lago? What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Trump Tower? Weird. Jared Kushner? Strange. Um, <laughs> that's what I've been drinking. What have you been drinking? What did you decide on? I went with a cocktail called the Brooklyn. So much clever. Which I'm pretty sure they were in Brooklyn. I'm not really sure. There was a the, bridge there, right? That, well, the dock scene was in Brooklyn. Um, the bridge okay. scene was in New Jersey, but it didn't matter. And it's just some like whiskey and then a couple drops of raspberry liqueur mm. and some vermouth. And it's really good. Oh, good. Okay. Well, two clever drinks that are completely on brand for the movie we watch <laughs> called War of the Worlds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we are in 2005, yep. and it starts with a voiceover with the king of all voiceovers. <laughs> really is, yeah. But it's funny, like, Morgan Freeman doesn't even sound as Morgan Freeman-ish as he later becomes. Does that make any sense? Like, he's, I mean, this is like peak Morgan Freeman voice, voiceover. I think one of the main things he did was um, March of the Penguins. Remember that documentary? Yeah. Came out, came out the same year, and... That was a huge hit. People loved that. I forgot about that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I kind of wonder if it's because he's giving this sort of old-timey narration, uh, which I think is mostly from the, the original book, you know, which was like right. 1898. Yeah, well, maybe this kind of started. Again, this is 15 years ago, which I was doing this thought exercise in my head, and I, I still feel like this is like a current movie somehow, like or a recent movie. But I was thinking, okay, so... 
this is like if it was 1990 and I was watching a movie from 1975. Like that feels like a very long time ago. You know, like like me as a ten. Oh my gosh, that yeah. does. Or like you know, if you were 1980 when I was bored and listening to the Beatles, that's how yeah. long ago that was. You know, that's oh my how gosh. old we. Are. <laughs> <laughs> so it's true. I guess as you get older, time conflates and everything is recent. Yeah, that's what I always think of. Like when I talk to younger people and. I assume that they think I'm very old, but I just want to explain to them, like, it doesn't feel like I've been living this long. Right. You just wait. Everything goes yeah. by so fast and everything feels like it was five minutes ago. Yeah. I feel like once you get out of school, maybe nothing makes sense anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> Time is a flat circle. <laughs> if you were to say, remember when we saw World of Worlds? What was that? A couple of years ago? Right. I'd be like, yeah, that Abs- must have been a couple of years 100%, ago. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> Not the life of a teenager. Okay. <laughs> I saw this TikTok where a guy like drives through to get liquor and the person asked them to see their ID. And so he holds up a, his ID. He's like, can you see it well enough? And he's like, yeah, I, I saw it. I saw the one. He's like, what do you mean you saw the one? He's like, oh my gosh. Because if you were born in before 2021. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. They don't even look at mine anymore. They're like, fine. <laughs> I know. I always feel even worse, too, when I'm wearing a mask. And it's like, you can tell by my eyes. Well, sometimes when we're wearing a mask, they'll do it. But I feel like wearing a hat. Because <laughs> they're why they're like, please, just go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those are the sad, sullen eyes of someone over 21. Sir, leave the store. <laughs> just shove the ID in their face. But yeah, so 2005. So I know we already addressed this. But context, this is just for short not even four years probably after 9-11 well so tom cruise owned the rights to this did he really okay yes and so he brought it to steven spielberg and steven spielberg was like this will be fun you're my best friend (laughs) yeah they had already done minority report together which was wonderful i still loved that movie and so then they got david coop to write the screenplay who wrote jurassic park and Tom Cruise actually wanted, guess who he wanted to write it? J.J. Abrams. Yes. Wouldn't that be so much better? It might not have been. Who knows? Because, I mean, J.J. is not perfect. Not everybody loves the Star Wars reboots. I think they're wonderful. I don't know, because David Coop's script, it's unclear how much even that got changed by whatever Spielberg wanted to do. Because when I was reading it, Spielberg still made a lot of his own changes to okay. co-op script. And so the ending, if that's what we may have problems with, who knows, um, that could have been all Spielberg. And even that, I want to say there's some some sort of secret, cynical message to that, but I don't think so. I think it's just Spielberg being Spielberg yeah, I think all day, so. every day. But so J.J. Abrams was doing, guess what? Lost. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which also had a giant plane crash in yep. it, which was interesting. And then J.J. Abrams did do Mission Impossible. That's what was confused me because I was wondering. I thought was Tom Cruise. Yeah, it would have been three because I thought, oh, Tom Cruise probably recommend J.J. because they done Mission Impossible three, but that hadn't even happened yet. So I wonder why was he even on a on Tom Cruise's radar? I guess he already liked him. Hmm. Oh, uh, Alias probably Alias when Tom Cruise did in Mission Impossible three. And was trying to pick a director because that's what Tom Cruise does. He just you know picks directors and projects. Uh, he watched like every episode of Alias and decided he wanted JJ. Interesting. Okay. This movie, I think, in my mind, and based on my brief internet research, seems to be confirmed is that it's really one of the first movies to respond in any real way 
to 9-11 in any meaningful level anyway. And I think it's fascinating that the, one of the first movies out of the gate to do that had to be like a sci-fi horror movie as if it's kind of impossible to li- like literally process that trauma. For sure. So what Spielberg does, and I'm not saying Spielberg set out to make a 9-11 movie. He set out to make War of the Worlds because Tom Cruise wanted to do that and they're best buddies. But in doing so, you know, why not appropriate all this imagery that's sort of, you know, at that time, I think it's hard for younger people to know, and they're all our listeners, as we know, <laughs> um, just how much that imagery was just imprinted on the consciousness, you know, of everyone. Like, you know, you, uh, people forget that they would reshow that in- the images of the towers falling just over and over and over again, certainly that month. But then, you know, mm-hmm. just throughout the next years, they would have yearly sort of documentaries that you would, that they would play on TV, like visuals to what happened yeah. that they don't yeah. really do anymore. Uh, but it was as if like you couldn't escape it, and so so all the sort of imagery that's sort of appropriated in the War of the Worlds, and really specifically the first half hour, uh, which is set you know at least New York adjacent, you know, but more so, just all of that, especially you know the dust on the the bodies, and you know the the sort of silence of the of the machines kind of coming out of the ground. Obviously, that didn't really happen, but you know. Um, oh yeah, but I mean the people running through the streets. The crowds. The way it's shot, it like it's kind of shot as if you're an observer on the street, which is very much how that 9/11, how most people see the 9/11 footage is from, you know, I guess back then camcorders uh, and things like that. You know, eye person, eye, eye level views from pedestrians. It's shot very yeah. much in that way that you're familiar with from having watched all these 9/11 videos. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that was, I mean, back before we all had cell phones, so it was like, it. Can you imagine the number? Oh, yeah. Of videos Insane. we would have had. So when you watch, for instance, although it's completely unrelated, the the tripod come out of the ground and there's really no music or anything. And the way he shoots uh, Spielberg, the crowd, and the, it's just all reaction shots. And But it's oddly silent at the same time. And it's just this entire, this the complete sense of just, you know, none of this really makes sense. And this is not, not really something that you can believe, but it's happening in front of our eyes. That, to me, is sort of the essence of most people's experience of watching 9-11, at least that morning. On Oh, my gosh, yes. Uh, it was just so unbelievable. And I feel yeah. like now, I really wonder now, as a younger person watching it, this movie for the first time, if you would really get any of that. I think it almost has to be almost contemporaneously experienced in 9-11 to really appreciate all that. You know, at a minimum, watch it live on TV that day, which sounds really lame, but that's what most people did. I mean, right. that's all I did. And I had nightmares about it for like two or three years. And so I, I had to work at Barnes and Noble Cafe that night. Oh, did you really? I was I was so angry. And they pulled like a little TV, like on wheels. I like remember. Yeah. Yeah. Over to the cafe. And I remember a guy coming in to get a latte. And I was just like so mad. Like I probably like slammed his credit card down. Like, what are you doing? I was all that day. But I was in, I was in college. And I remember, you know, being furious. Not that's a weird word. I remember my morning classes were canceled, but my afternoon class, because it was only once a week, they didn't cancel it. And I remember, like, what are we doing here? What, why aren't we all talking about this? Yeah, I was in an 8 a.m. class, and this guy who always drove me crazy came in and, like, said to the teacher, was like, these planes crashed into the World Trade Center. I remember thinking, like, shut the fuck up and sit down. <laughs> class started <laughs> seven minutes ago. And then he just sat down because the teacher was like, okay, she can't check her phone. You know, there's not, she was just like, she was just like, oh, that, 
that's too bad. And we had class. And it wasn't until we got out of class that we realized what had happened. And I remember going home and just running upstairs to my mom, like, what is happening after the second plane hit? And it's just like. I woke up that morning, my uh, my roommate at the time in college, his mom called me. Uh, or hmm. probably called Jeff, but Jeff was out. So she just got me the phone and she said something to the fact, well, they've hit us, they've hit us. And then she just hung oh, up. <laughs> I was like, okay, what is she talking about? She was a little centric. And I turned on the uh, TV. I, I gleaned that much and, and saw, I guess, the first building had been hit. And then still not really kind of getting it. I went to my first class. And then when I yeah, went there. Yeah, most people assumed that was an accident. Right, right. They they hadn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's so weird. And so by the time I got to the class, the second building still hadn't been hit. I mean, that happened like 40 minutes later. I could have the timeline messed up. But it was not enough time for me to walk or drive to the campus, which is just like next door. Mm-hmm. And class was canceled. And everybody in the English department was watching the TV in this little um, cute little faculty office with the professors. And everybody just hunched around. And that's when the second plane hit. And that's when everybody oh kind gosh. of freaked out. And, I, I, and that, that'll always, you know, kind of stick with me. So whenever I think of 9-11, I think of Jeff's mom calling oh, me. God. Well, I remember my best friend was on a Mormon missionary trip. And I remember writing him a letter and I made it like red, white, and blue. <laughs> and I cut out a picture uh, like from the newspaper and sent him a the newspaper clipping of it. Even though I, he was still getting the newspaper, I'm sure he'd see it. But It's such a weird time. I had a little American flag that I put in my car. <laughs> Everybody was so like, you know, like patriotic and uh you know, I'm not saying that was something you had to be, but it was just a very emotional time. And uh, I mean, it's just weird to talk about now because, you know, if you talk about it just in terms of deaths and it was absolutely terrible and horrific. Right now we're living through that every day with COVID and mm-hmm. you still don't have quite the same urgent emotional reaction, whether or not you should or not, that you had to that day. I get that same feeling when I'm driving down the highway and I see a giant billboard that says, wear a mask, stop the spread. And sometimes I just think, that should be in a movie. Like that's not real. It doesn't feel real, you yeah. know. And that's how you kind of felt when nine eleven happened. It's like that 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 can't happen. No, yeah, and I, I do think that the like sort of COVID experience is sort of the closest experience to the nine eleven trauma that we've had in a way. It's just diluted somehow because it's spread over a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, honestly, we're having the, the same amount of deaths. But it's not something you can really see or experience in that way. So it's so uh, world the world. <laughs> right. Scene one. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, that whole speech Dakota Fanning gave about pandemics was crazy. <laughs> right, really on the nose for Spielberg. But <laughs> um, well, so Tom Cruise, he's a badass shipping container movie. Yeah, so <laughs> he's the best in the biz, isn't he? Yeah, so he's a. Uh, this is one of those things like. Tom Cruise is so Tom Cruise at all times. You know, he's just, he's just Tom Cruising it more than any Tom Cruise ever could. <laughs> but when you see him being a, a, a crane worker, I just, I'm like, I'm like, Tom, really? You're a crane worker now? You know? Well, <laughs> <laughs> it, it reminded me of this, this bit. I think it's Jim Gaffigan. And he has a bit about Monster's Ball. Remember that movie? Yeah. And he talks about Halle Berry in that movie. And he's just like, but look at you just go to go to LA you could be a model you look just like Halle Berry you know sometimes it's a little distracting or I think we talked about that when we talked about our Invisible Man episode and Aldous Hodge is just he wasn't as distracting but he was very very hot but what it bothered me too was in the leftovers um Justin Theroux was like 
totally ripped. Yeah. And it was just like, it took me out of it every time. Yeah, he shouldn't because, be in that town, yeah. Because I I know, I, I know that guy. He, they, he I don't see him working out. He's sad. He masturbates <laughs> and he suffocates himself. He's not working out to look like that. So it's a bit distracting. So we see Tom Cruise being a awesome cargo yeah, worker. The funny thing is, knowing Tom Cruise, he probably became a certified crane operator and did like <laughs> did all that himself. And uh, it's like and no one else like took, shoot. Yeah. He took a fun take of him riding on top of it just for fun. Yeah. And then, <laughs> right. Hanging from a wire. Yeah. <laughs> that, that The camera work, you know, from the beginning shot leads me to believe he really did that. There doesn't seem to be any trickery. I mean, the camera sure zooms in on Tom Cruise. and he, hang, he hung onto a plane outside of it, Chris. He climbed <laughs> the largest, the t- highest building in Dubai. Yeah, they're like, do you yes. need a ladder? He's like, no, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> and Spielberg's like, you know, we don't need you in this shot. He's like, Spielberg. <laughs> and he, he's got a badass car. He drives crazy. He's got a leather jacket. Yeah. So the first five minutes of crew. Who I mean, drives like that? I don't know, but it does make me laugh. It's kind of like uh, someone mentioned a while ago that. And it's not really a thing anymore, simply because she doesn't really do many movies. But there's a while we saw Angelina Jolie movie, and she just cannot be Angelina Jolie. It's just so distracting. Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is always kind of like that. And it's not even to his discredit. It's just that there's always like 10 minutes or so where you even forget that, oh, I guess he's playing a character. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that Tom Cruise was miscast in this? No, but I can see where... A lot of different folks could have played this broken dad, maybe where you would focus more on that sort of type, you know? Well, because it seems like he's uh, living a good life. Like, he doesn't seem like he's that sad without his kids, you know? <laughs> well, I think that's the point. He's, he's supposed to be sort of, uh, I don't think he seems particularly happy, but he does seem to be like he's doing fine. I think part of that is just sort of the Tom Cruise charm, but I get that. He, he's relatively sort of, I mean, as ripped as he is and as impossible good looking as he is. He still sort of has the sort of defeated kind of uh, hound dog attitude to him. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's just the he's way. He's got a lot of friends, and yeah, he likes his neighbors. I don't know. I guess that's just the thing about when he does get his family around him. He's so clearly kind of a a mess up at everything that that's kind of where the maybe his sadness comes in. I like the fact that he's not sort of you know whining and complaining about you know maybe what a bad dad he is. It's just sort of. You kind of put that together, and that's true. There's a lot of great scenes I think that show that he is hasn't been a very attentive dad without having to be too heavy-handed. Yeah, and he's he's working. He's I have a job, you know. <laughs> well, well, speaking of Lord of the Rings, Miranda Otto is his ex-wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she yeah she was in it. I was sad she didn't have kind of more to to do, but it's always good to see a one up in there being sad. Well, yeah. Well, we'll get uh, to someone else who was a surprise who should have had more to do. I don't know if you know who I'm talking about, but uh, so we meet his kids. Amy, Amy Ryan? Yeah. Okay, good. So Dakota Fanning. Yeah, and she's a, she's a peak Dakota cuteness in this movie. Oh my gosh, she is so good. She's really But that's good. the one thing that I really remember was laughing so hard at some of her lines. Like when she talks about how she loves TiVo yeah, because she can awesome. TiVo all her stuff <laughs> and do her homework. Oh my God. Yeah. And I love whenever that little comment she makes that i have a bad back (laughs) (laughs) and none of it ever seems like annoying she she reminds me a lot of my niece katie honestly watching it this time except for the sort of screaming stuff but her whole attitude the tivo the bad back all that stuff the cot in the basement that's all katie still to this day yeah and none of it is like 
too precocious because after i mean i'm sure there were some before this but in the mid 2000s and on there was way too many movies with a very precocious child who was really cute yeah kind of like in 500 days of summer abigail breslin was that kid i mean there's a million examples but but she was not that i I mean maybe that goes back to steven spielberg being so great with kid actors yeah she kind of has a slight um uh, Drew Barrymore and E.T. vibe. I kind of yes, wonder if Steven very Spielberg much. was I kept going thinking for... about Gertie. Yeah, yes. Gertie, Gertie. Okay, yeah, good. But you're right. She's not really going for the throat, like, cute-wise. I mean, she is cute, but incidentally, you know, they don't try. And that's probably the same as Drew Barrymore when she was doing that. Right. Um, and they let her being annoying. They let her be a kid. They let her, you know, do all the things that would, you know, an 11-year-old kid would drive you nuts about. Yeah, she's because she's also she doesn't try to like take charge and be braver than no. a girl like that would be. She's terrified and she screams and she cries and I feel everything that she feels. She's so good. Well, going back to um, Tom Cruise, you asked me the question whether I thought he was miscast and that you know I, I guess I that presupposes that maybe you suggest he was miscast or I just love Tom Cruise. Okay, I can't help it. The Tom Cruise run. Very convincing, yeah. I know that he could single-handedly take down Scientology if he wanted to. I know all this. It's a long game, Kristen. (laughs) (laughs) I still love him so much, and I will go see every Mission Impossible movie. They're so good. And I think that the last thing that I worry about in this movie is Tom Cruise's performance. I think that if other things had been fixed, then everything would have fallen into line and it would have been a perfect movie. But... So that's the last thing. Maybe. Yeah, I think he's great in it. Yeah. I mean, there's that scene in, towards the end where he's tearing up when he's trying to sing the Beach Boy song. To I love that. He's a good actor. And he's good in this movie. And it's a good Tom Cruise vehicle. And it's just sort of kind of what he does. It's unfortunate that he's decided that his personal life needed to unravel at that very moment. But it's not, it's certainly not reflected in the movie. Well, and so his teenage son. Yes, let's talk about him. Okay, Robbie. Robbie. It was played by Justin Chatwin. Yeah, I've been meaning to look him up. I'm not sure what else he's in. Uh, or was this maybe his one big deal? Or He was in Shameless, but he's been, I mean, acting regularly yeah. since, like, a lot. Well, I mean, he's very good in this movie, but that character, yeesh. I don't think he's very good. I think he's good. I mean, I think with what he's given to do, he's, he's good. I just don't know there's a way to make that character likable. Uh, and I was trying to figure out why. And I think it's just, A, that type of character is very utilitarian. He's just there to sort of make other characters react to him, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, he's there to, like, piss off Tom Cruise. And he's there to be a support for, um, I keep wanting to say Gertie, but um, Rachel. Rachel. And other than that, he's just there to be angry all the time. And that's a very specific type of character that was very much kind of overdone in the 90s and early 2000s okay that's fine leave it at that then leave it with that one-dimensional character why are you trying to add this giant branch of all of a sudden he wants to join the army which i don't get except for maybe we should get to that okay we'll talk about it because i thought because you're right it doesn't make sense well so his wife drops off the kids she's pregnant so pregnant with I guess this new guy who's... Yeah. Well, she's pregnant with, you know, Faramir, son of Gondor's uh, child from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and I like that the the new husband is not confrontational. He's just like, I'm going to wait in the car. There's not a lot of, you know, that male toxic stuff. Yeah, I mean, they make him a little bit into the sort of the weasel. Not a weasel, but sort of soft. And Tom Cruise is slightly manlier. I mean, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a little irritating. You know, he's got this sort of black... I think he's even wearing a turtleneck and... 
Like, I'm surprised there wasn't a scene where, like, the new husband couldn't open a jar and, like, right. Tom Cruise took it and popped yeah. it open and, like, ate a pickle. Yeah. The movie doesn't quite do that, though, because Tom Cruise, he's kind of he's kind of not a hero in the movie. I mean, he does. That's true. He is just kind of hanging in there. He's always, yeah. yeah, and he's bad at surviving a little bit. He's always, you know, even there's a scene where uh, the early scene where the plane crashes and they're, like, well, I guess his wife's house. And he's like, what do we do? What do we do? And the son has to sort of lead him to safety. So the movie doesn't do that. He's not really, and I guess it's kind of what we reacted to earlier. Like he's not, I, I want to say he's like the Tom Cruise character, but he's not really. I mean, he's Tom yeah. Cruise. But as as far as that goes, he's certainly not, you know, Ethan Hunt or anything. He's Right. And I think he's convincing the sense of that he kind of is a fuck up to the extent Tom Cruise would ever be imperfect or anything. <laughs> but also there's a good scene between him and Miranda Otto where you can tell that she really still has some fondness for him. Oh, yeah, it's Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Take me to bed or leave me forever. Right. Aragorn. <laughs> But there's great use of tension whenever him and his son are playing catch. I like that scene when they're throwing it harder and harder. Yeah, at each that, other. it makes me very nervous. And then when he breaks the window, I, I get upset a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's what it's supposed to do, right? right? right. And the, Rachel's just watching, playing with her ponies. It's so funny. Dakota Fanning now is on The Alienist. Yeah, she was in the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was so good in that. And Elle Fanning it was in The Great. Which is another time period piece, which is wonderful. She plays Catherine the Great. They're all they're so grown up now, Chris. Yeah, I, I was looking. So she was eleven when she filmed or made this, and so that means she's like twenty six now. Wow, 27. that's my daughter's age, eleven. Yeah, and also twenty six still seems so young. I does, I know. So I feel I still feel like she's a kid, but yeah. So they anyway they they very convincingly set up this sort of. Divorce dynamic, which uh, this is what apparently Spielberg, God bless him, responded to. He saw that script, <laughs> and I, I did read this. He saw a script by David Coep. He David Coep had that in that he's like sold. I immediately relate to this, and he, David Coep was like, "Well, you're on page five. <laughs> and he's like, "I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing this movie." So that is kind of funny. I mean, I know I've joked about that, but that is in all of his movies. It's just inescapable. And so they start kind of teasing this idea that there's blackouts and lightning storms because yeah. they're watching TV a lot, yeah. which is kind of reminded me of Signs. Yeah. Don't they do that in Signs where, yeah, like, where people kinda, are seeing things? Yeah, you see a lot of things through news reports. A little and bit there's of obviously the most Day. famous scene of the kid at the birthday party. Well, so then, so Tom Cruise goes to take a nap. Yeah. Dramatically takes his shirt off and <laughs> jumps in a bed. So Rachel asks for food and he, I mean, that kind of shows that one, they don't necessarily need him he says order something he she finds food she orders it yeah i love she that detail where she says i i got the menu from last time we were here knowing yeah. that she would need this in the future somehow <laughs> right. it's kind of funny and then it cracks me up when he eats the hummus and he's like what is this this isn't food it's like everybody eats hummus now yeah hummus comes on everything hummus comes as, as a side at mcdonald's i mean everybody yeah but right but back then i remember like we would go to owls and it was still like kind of new to me and i think you're the one that kind of introduced me to that isn't that funny yeah the first aisle in public so just a whole aisle of hummus you know <laughs> i know so what would be like an example of that now ketchup <laughs> kale maybe kale yes yeah kale yeah tom's name is ray right. which is a very new york name Ray comes out of his house. I love this scene when he comes out and everyone's like looking at him. And he's like, what? 
Right. Like they, he thinks that they're looking, which because it's Tom Cruise, of course. Yeah. Right. It's a paparazzi. Well, no, I, what I read was um, that that scene that Steven Spielberg actually, it's so funny to say that he hired or invited a bunch of just locals to come out because that scene was shot in a real street in New Jersey, I think, just some neighborhood. And he said, well, if you all come out here, Tom Cruise is about to walk out. And he didn't know. So that's all actual gawkers on the street watching Tom Cruise walk out the door. That's crazy. And that's just the reaction Spielberg got. But they were supposed to be looking, you know, behind him at the... And so they see a giant cloud, right? Yes, it's an Independence Day cloud. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting, too. Like, I was very popular, Independence Day. There was two volcano movies that came out (laughs) in the same same year. (laughs) (laughs) Which I saw both in the movie theater, I believe. I think I saw Dante's Peak. I don't think I saw the other one. What was the other one? Volcano. No, just called called Volcano? (laughs) With Tommy Lee Jones. (laughs) Remember when he was an action star? Dante's Peak was the one with Pierce Brosnan, right? Yes, and Linda Hamilton from Terminator 2. Yes, I saw that one in the movie theater. I think I skipped school and saw it, actually. (laughs) You were very much into volcanoes. (laughs) Would you ever notice if the wind was blowing towards the storm? No, see, that's one of those moments that irritates me in movies where they try and show that the main character is, like, smart or something. You know, I just, it's like no one, no, I would never notice that. I would be just freaked out by the general situation. I mean, like if Philip Seymour Hoffman and Twister was like, wind is blowing towards the Twister. That's weird. I would buy that. I suppose. He chases Twisters. Yeah, I just thought that was weird. And so he goes outside and his neighbor is? Amy Adams. No. no. Amy Ryan. Amy Ryan. I ruined it. (laughs) (laughs) I love her. Yeah. And so when the lightning starts striking... Then, you know, first Tom Cruise is like, this is so cool. Come out here and watch. It's fun. And then all of a sudden Tom Cruise gets scared. Right. Which I I think I really relate to that feeling of being a kid, but also being a parent. And like where you think something at first, like, oh, this storm is cool. Guys, come look at this. And then you're like, wait a minute, this is scary. And you have to be aware that your kids are watching you to see how to react. Yeah. Dakota Fanning didn't really. Like she was like this... This fucking sucks. Let's go inside. She's sort of the adult in the room, yeah. But he, uh, yeah. the sad thing about it is that he's sort of using that as a way to bond with her. Like, oh, this cool oh, experience. Oh, that's true. Uh, and he's, I, I read it as him. I mean, I think he's genuinely enjoying it and, you know, in a sort of Tom Cruise way. But he's also sort of playing up his enjoyment for her, you know, to bond. And then at some point, it's just, oh, God, this is terrifying. It's strange I've been in these situations before with my kids. Like, one time, my kids and I went hiking, which is what we like to do. And there was, like, this rushing creek it wasn't even that big and i said okay we got to get across this because otherwise we're gonna have to backtrack and i tried to get them i was like come on it'll be fun it'll be fun you just walk across this log i'll hold on to you and i'll get you across and i was like it'll be fun come on let's try it and they were like no fucking way (laughs) they were like you are insane we're gonna go home and tell daddy about this look how fast the water is rushing and i was like no come on it'll be come on we'll do it and they would, they refused. Did they really threaten to tell your dad? Or to yes. Brian? <laughs> I was like, look, I can do this. We had to end up backtracking the whole way to go back the other way. Are they still telling anyway. Yeah, Of course. <laughs> they have no secrets with Brian. There's no secrets. If I ever say it's a secret, then that makes them want to tell him even more. <laughs> well, who tells first, Adam or Elise? Adam. Okay. Little rat. 
That's hilarious. Well, so when the lightning strikes, it sounds like monster sounds. Like it's scary. Yeah. Well, I guess there's never a thunder, but yeah, it's definitely unnatural. <gasps> That's true. So then they run inside and they're still watching it. And Tom Cruise has that line where lightning doesn't strike the same spot twice. And then, of course, it strikes the same spot twice. And he- well, forgot to mention, so at this point, Robbie is missing. He took the car and he left. Classic because Robbie, Robbie yeah. just like Robbie. Yeah. And so that's why Tom Cruise runs out of the house. Right. And he finds Robbie. But then Tom Cruise goes to investigate where the lightning keeps striking, I guess. Mm-hmm. And everybody is standing and watching and waiting around to see what happens. So he goes and finds the hole and he says it's like cold instead of being hot. Right. Which is interesting, which reminded me of Willy Wonka. Uh, the chocolate rem- factory. Remind me of Lord of the Rings where Gandalf takes out the ring and he says, it's quite cool. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's going to remind you of Lord of the Rings it for is. the next few months. It's okay. But I do like how they're all, you know, you know, like the other day I went by a car wreck and inexplicably there was 40 people just standing around it that didn't need to be there. And I just, yeah, that, that makes sense to me. Like even yeah. if it's kind of you know, dangerous because what I think yeah, it is, you know, they, that makes sense. But when the whole church facade starts falling yeah. or moving that scene is so freaky right like it looks like the whole facade is just coming off people are still just standing there watching but the, yeah the, the the image of the the church and it there's one image where it appears to be almost like moving towards the crowd it is so like disturbing for some reason and then of course the steeple mm-hmm. falls of course the idea is that this machine is underneath all of it and it's like kind of you know disrupting everything yeah but, but I mean, just the fact that it is a church is also creepy yeah and then it does, like you said, it looks like the whole church is becoming transformer type thing. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I've seen it a few times. So you obviously know that, well, what's happening is there's a machine underneath the earth. But when the movie came out, it was somewhat secret about they didn't have a whole lot of you know spoilers about the movie. I mean, I guess. And, and I don't know. I think in the book, that wasn't really a component of the book. The book, there was some sort of. They built the machines, you know, when they landed. I don't think I knew or most people knew like what exactly was going on. I guess you kind of figure it out. Um, but the image eventually where the machine does rise and it's you don't see the whole thing. I mean, it's classic kind of Spielberg, I think, how he does that. And it's so kind of creepy, like the enormity of the machine. I mean, usually you just see like the eye versus the people. And every time they do that movie and even like later on with the fairy, it just gives me the willies. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just something about that, like uh, the same reason that Vulcan still scares me. Like those machines, right. just, they just kind there's of frighten some, me. There's, there's something about it being so big, too. Right. It's, it's just it's so large and it comes out of the earth mm-hmm. and then starts coming towards them. And then people start getting zapped. Yeah, And the way he does it is you first see it in like the reflection of like the camcorder. So you don't yes. quite know what you're seeing, which is so good, Spielberg. And then then he just goes, you know, it just all hell breaks loose. And there's people being zapped right and left. And I, you, I say zapped and, you know, that sounds silly, but it's terrifying what happens. Like there's just one shot of a woman running towards the camera. I still don't know how they do it. I mean, I know it's computer trickery of some sort, you know, devilry. But she's she evaporates <laughs> as she runs towards the camera. And I was trying to figure out how they do that. I don't it doesn't look like there's a, an obvious cut. Um, so there's a lot of great shots like that. It's all very scary. How do their clothes? I love the clothes that are flying out of there. But you think that they would be zapped, too. Yeah. But see, that's just them needing more 9-11 imagery. That's the paper flying out of the top. The, oh, my God. Yeah. I know. So yes, that's exactly what it is. That happens a few times. And again, it's, it's just that type of imagery that I don't know if that really reads the same way to people now as it does back then but it just maybe the good thing about this movie is it allows you to process all those 
9-11 feelings in the context of a horror movie, which is kind it's of... like therapy. Yeah. Which yeah. is kind of what we've been talking about in especially the earlier episodes of this. Like, what is the point of some of these horror movies? It allows you to deal with these traumas without really having to necessarily talk about them. Yes. Uh, you just sort of experience them. And also the machines that the noise they make is so good. Yeah. Even when, like, when the dirt, when they eject the dirt or whatever it is, it's, it's very... Um, you get the idea these machines are ancient and that just makes it even creepier somehow. Like they're mm. kind of waking up. Yeah. Um, like it'd be different if they're like these new sort of spaceship type machines. But the fact that they're, they clearly, I think someone later says they've been there for like millions of years, um, which if you really think about it, doesn't make a ton of sense, but you know, whatever. Well, I thought about that too. Like why haven't they found them by like digging and Not uh, building? Yeah. <laughs> but I was, I thought, well, maybe they're way, way, way down there. Yeah. Farther, farther than we would build. Yeah. So that's how I then I just kind of reasoned with that and it kept going. Yeah, and someone on uh, I read some theory where they say the idea was, and this isn't presented in the movie or anything, but like the aliens came here. Maybe there's a couple people or whatever, but they're like, well, this isn't really right for colonizing yet, and we they buried their machines. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And they came back later when there was like millions of people and they could you know you know feast on them and fertilize then, them. Right, yeah. yeah. Okay, so this, so we get to this whole thing with Tom Cruise's character is that he is into cars. He knows how to rebuild cars. Oh, yeah. He he mentions to some guy, try this on the car, and it works. So they have the one car that works, and they steal it from the guy. But that part is very scary, especially Dakota Re- Fanning's reaction, where she starts kind of freaking out because she doesn't exactly know what's going on at that point. And Tom Cruise is saying, we're going to take the car. And she's like getting upset in the back seat. And then she he just drives away from his friend and then sees his friend get zapped. Right. And then they kind of realize, okay, something's bad is happening. Yep. Then they have that crazy shot where they're escaping the van and the camera goes around the van in a single take, you know, and mm-hmm. you see like them, you know, Tom Cruise and Dakota Fanning and Robbie yelling at each other. And and the whole scene is one take and the camera goes up and I can't figure out how they did it. I can only imagine that they're just sitting in a, a van and there's just see a green screen all around them. Uh-huh. But it certainly doesn't like that because it's an unbroken take and the camera moves. It doesn't make sense. If you really watch it, it's the, it's the craziest. Is it going around like in between the three of them? It goes or is it around the outside of the car. Everything. It starts in the van, like from mm-hmm. like maybe a windshield view. Then it goes out of the van. It goes between other cars, goes around the van, circles back to the, uh, in one shot to the, like uh-huh. the passenger side mirror. You go back to the Robbie. They go back in the van. More to Dakota goes back. I mean, it's nuts. I'm doing all these gestures with my hands that the, <laughs> pot, the audience won't see. Um, but it's, 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 and it's done in a way that you're not immediately noticing, oh, this is kind of like a, a Spielberg trick, but once you notice it, you can't unnotice it. And then you can't think, uh, you can't, it almost takes you out of the scene because you're thinking like, how in the world do they do this? And it, it only adds to the, the craziness of that scene because you have Robbie trying to get Dakota Fane to calm down and Tom Cruise is kind of observing this and he's, it's kind of cute because right. he's like, he's kind of watching, you know? And saying, oh, that's how you parent. <laughs> and he, he tries to do that later to her and it doesn't work. Just like you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like in Jaws where, you know, the, it's the shot where the camera speeds up to Roy Scheider on the beach. Yes, it's that type yes. of shot that, you know, it's not, you don't immediately notice it's a trick shot. But once you see it, you can't ever really not notice it. But also has a great character development there. of Dakota Fanning clearly has some anxiety issues, yeah. claustrophobic issues. And that her brother knows how to deal with them yeah. and knows how to help her, which, again, we'll go into later as to why it makes no sense, yeah. why his character does what he does. Yep, I agree. You can't leave her 
with Tom Cruise? Yeah, especially if you already think he's deficient on some level. Yeah. So they go to decide to go to their mom's house, which I guess is they have a house in New York, right? Yeah, it's New York, New Jersey somewhere. So it's the house they would be had not they left to go to Boston. Right. And it's super fancy. Mm-hmm. You can tell that Tom Cruise is a little jealous it's of it. But he's he's a, he sees a photo that has him in the picture. Oh. Yeah, so he, there's that great shot where he's, he just checks and there's a family photo that I guess it's you know seen before and it still has him in the photo. And he kind of looks at it. He's like, okay. So, (laughs) yeah, that's kind of cool. Because in another movie, it'd be a new photo of the new husband. Right. And I just think it's nice that it shows, like you said earlier, she still likes him and cares for him and hasn't, like, ripped him out of the photos or anything. And he sees that and uh, acknowledges that. Uh, And then there's that scene where he, he tries to make them dinner. And, A, they're not hungry because, you know, why would they be? That is a great scene. And then finally they say, she's allergic to peanut butter. Since when? Since birth, <laughs> Dakota Fanning so good. Yeah. And he throws the sandwich against the window, yeah. which is something I probably wanted to do before, so I get it. But I like I like when he deals the, the bread. Yeah. Like, I haven't seen that in me before. I wonder if that was a Tom Cruise-ism. It um, seems like a Tom Cruise thing. Yeah, it just seems like something he does, because everything he does is two cool. Two for you, <laughs> two for me, yeah. yeah. How do I make, make a sandwich just cool? <laughs> Um, I know. Like, how do I do it in cocktail? Yeah. I'll <laughs> but it's a great scene because it starts out with him being cool and it ends with him, like, just not knowing really anything about his kids and not getting that maybe they don't need food at this point. Uh, you know, that type well, of yeah, thing. Well, yeah, and kinda, he, he kind of gets mad at Robbie for packing food and it's all condiments. And Robbie's <laughs> like, that's all you had. <laughs> what did you want us to pack? So they go to the basement. There's a lot of basements in this movie. I thought about yeah, unpacking that's true. that. but. Um, because the basement with Tim Robbins at the end almost mirrors a little bit the basement they're in here. But I'm not sure what that really means. Well, I guess we we learn happening is you think it's aliens attacking, and I suppose in a way it is, but really it's this plane crashing in the neighborhood right. and causing all this horrific just sound and fury. You don't really know what it is. Uh, and Tom Cruise, there's that great moment where he just doesn't know what to do. He's like, where do we go? Where do we go? Where do we go? And the, the, the son has to pull him into this sort of weird, I don't know, other basement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And Dakota Fanning says, oh, it's kind of a cool moment. He's not the hero, you know. And he yeah. he is in a way, he's the protagonist for sure, but he's he's not this, you know, awesome Tom Cruise hero. And that's kind of okay. You know, we can just kind of ride with that. But so did the plane crash because did everything that happened to the cars happen to the airplanes? I suppose so. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That's a good thought. Yeah. Or, I mean, they could have just been shot out of the sky by the aliens, but how tragic would that be if every plane that was flying also lost power and crashed? Yeah, I had not thought about that, but it makes way more sense that that's what happened. But before that, when it's all dark and you hear Dakota Fanning saying, are we still alive? Ugh, oh, my gosh. Gives me chills. Because, you know, you imagine you survived that and it's all dark and you're a kid like, yeah, like yeah, am I dead? You know, it's, just, it's, yeah. it's very, it's a very true moment, I thought. But apparently, like, that plane crash debris in that area it's still you can go see it like on the if you go on like the a tour of movie sets yeah that's one that's there the paramount movie which i think would be amazing well i was going to ask you when you when you saw the big jet engine on the ground what did you think of <laughs> did you get excited <laughs> oh my gosh yes yeah, okay me too it's about ready to explode get away from it shannon yep <laughs> but this i guess this is right after it lost but still Oh, yeah. So they run into the news people. Yeah. Gail Weathers. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, she does have that energy. Well, and the news person has time to, like, give him a rundown of everything that's happened. Uh, right. It's, it's very, Show him footage. Yeah, and she of, has that plucky attitude because, again, she's, you know, all newscatchers have that, you know, the Gail Weathers right. energy. 
it's all about the story. Right. And she tells them that they've been buried a long time and she shows like slows down the lightning to show that that's how they're being put into their pods, you know? Yeah. It's a cool it moment. Seems like, the, the, yeah. But the mechanics of it, you're right. It, it's a little silly. Yeah, so they said they're going to drive to Boston to where their mom is. Right, right. This next few scenes, I say the next 30, 40 minutes until they get into Tim Robbins' basement is terrifying. It does not stop, does not let up. Yeah. They get in the car. For the first thing they have is when they stop because Dakota Fanning has to go to the bathroom and she gets out. I also really felt that feeling whenever all the time, especially like I had said earlier, like my kids and I like to hike and I have to be like, you cannot go where I can't see you. You have to stop, 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 stop. Yeah. Stop right there. And Dakota Fanning keeps going away from Tom Cruise to right, go to so the little, yeah. So she makes it to the river and she sees the river and she like smiles because it looks beautiful, right? The sun is shining on it. Yeah. And then that one body goes across, which is terrifying. And then... Tons of bodies come down the river. Yeah, so crazy. It's, it, I was, I gasped. Because again, I haven't seen this since the movie theater. I was shocked. This and then striking. Tom Cruise comes in and yeah. grabs her. Yeah, it has a slight, you know, Frankenstein vibe, like the ch- the kid by the river, and then he, she gets attacked by Frankenstein. I don't know, something always reminds me of that. It has nothing really to do with the movie, but. Oh, interesting. That scene is also in Dr. Sleep. That's how Rose the Hat gets the first girl. And, and see, in that movie, is explicitly referencing Frankenstein. So that's maybe what I was thinking about it. Oh, But anytime you have okay. a child by a river, that's such an iconic scene from the sort of classic 30s movie that I always think of it. And so I kind of wonder if he was doing something with that. They get back in the car and they start driving into the town. And then it starts getting terrifying again because all the people want the car. No, do you... Th- I think that that's a very accurate depiction of people yes i thought the exact same panicked yeah but would it happen that quickly like after the attacks yes and i say this because i feel like everything that's happened this past year bears evidence of that (laughs) i mean you're right i just i I thought and that's why i thought like you know when i said earlier like this movie has resonance kind of now too with everything going on i mean two weeks ago i would have thought what happened the capital probably really just can happen like how that happened what happened and very easily, apparently. But I mean, at a minimum, I accept the fact that a crowd of angry people can turn on these very easy targets when they're absolutely terrified. By the way, I watched The Myth recently. We have to do that one. Um, I want to watch that again so bad. That's so good. That particular scene with the crowd, that's just very now to me. It doesn't really have a particular bearing on 9-11, I suppose. No, I think that would just be a good example of what can happen with a crowd and the terror that can happen. And I mean, even like there's this guy who's like ripping the windshield apart with his bare hands. Right. And so I thought about, into it. I thought about that crowd of people and some people included, you know, beating that cop with the American flag on the, you know, the images from Capitol attack, yeah. you know, a lot of people didn't go there to do that. Right. But, you know, you read about these mob mentalities and that type of thing just easily happens. I think some of those yes. people did go there and do that, by the way. But, I mean, let's just... Because I also was thinking, like, well, who is going to get the car? There's too many people. But also, I think part of the mentality is, like, nobody gets a car. It's not fair. Yes. You yeah, know, get yeah. out of the car. Yeah. Half the anger is these people presumably escaping, I suppose, when they maybe don't deserve to because no one else gets to. Then Tom Cruise crashes the car. I was shocked. So then they're stuck there, just being attacked by all these people. And poor Dakota Fanning is in the back screaming and I, it was so crazy like when tom cruise gets out of the van and he pulls a gun out 
And the whole crowd's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not get crazy <laughs> Take here. it easy, Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Which is probably something that would happen. Like, they don't realize they're being crazy, right? Right, right. That, that's, and they're like, yeah. this guy's crazy. That's exactly right. I think the scariest moment in the movie, in a way, is when, you know, after that scene, and Dakota Fanning, Rachel's still in the backseat of the car, and then that guy, <gasps> oh goes, in the, that guy goes in the backseat with her. Like he, but that happens a couple times. That's what's so scary about it. Like, a guy goes in the car, and, like, Tom Cruise pulls him out. Yeah. And then someone else goes in and Tom Cruise pulls him out. And then the guy gets in to take the car. And he's like, I just need my daughter. Just give me my daughter. Right. And it's just like, you don't know if he's going to let him take her. Oh, my God. All of that is so well done. Even like when the Tom Cruise drops the gun and you kind of see this dude pick it up. At first, I was kind of like, this is going to be cheesy, isn't it? But it's not. Like, it's just kind of a very quick scene. Like, they're inside the diner. And you kind of see it outside yeah. and you hear the pops of the gun and he shoots the guy who had the car. Oh, my God. It's terrifying. The way the reveal, it's very clever the way Spielberg reveals. It's not even necessary for him to do this. It's just, it's a, just a cool thing he does. He's a great director. But the way you know that Tom Gun, Tom Cruise has a... You should call him Top Gun. I think I did. Tom Gun. <laughs> Top Gun. <laughs> the way you know that he has a gun point in his head is first you see Dakota Fanning scream. At something, and you kind of think of he just screaming in general, but she's screaming at this guy who is only revealed as the camera moves past Tom Cruise's head, and you see the new guy. Ah, uh. he's a great. Uh, um, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but he's like the best at using the space in a scene and making it interesting. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. he's pretty good. He's all right. <laughs> so then they start going on foot along with everybody else, and they run into some people they know. Yeah, and there's people holding. Uh, missing posters of their family members. Now, when would they have time to make those, though? I don't know, but again, that a great point. Not important because that is, you know, again, straight up nine eleven imagery. All the member you, oh, very you would have so. all the missing posters, or have you seen? Golly. Yeah, um, and because you see them on plastered on the, you know, kind of on the street too. Another thing I never noticed before that same scene is when they're, you know, just walking in that crowd. The camera passes a lady who's calling for. a blood donations did you catch this yes yes and she's she says i never really caught what she was saying and she goes we already have plenty of blood we don't need any more unless you're a positive or whatever is the most rare blood that no one has that's also from 9-11 because you remember no o positive means that you're a universal donor okay well so that, yeah so they yeah yeah so that's the best and so they all kind of always need that but her point was we were good you know we don't need anything else that happened 9-11 i remember because yes. You had all these people showing up for these blood drives, and it turned out like they're just not enough survivors to need this. And it was very sad. And I remember that being very... Yeah, I, I went gay blood. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. I remember writing in my letter to my friend, make sure you give blood. You know, but really that wasn't what they needed. Well, yeah. And, and who can know? But it was just a very sobering moment. That's when you... Because that was when I first realized like how bad it was. I mean, obviously it was bad, but like when they... There was some very diplomatic way that the newscaster was saying, like, well, apparently these donations are being used. They're just not finding survivors, you know? Right. But then they, they cut to that, to a train going by mm. that is completely engulfed in flames. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of taken back out of, you know, thinking about 9-11, kind of back into this survival movie. Yeah. 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 That's just more, more um, you know abstract kind of scene it's very effective yeah, but yeah luckily that, that never happened <laughs> yes um, well, so then they are trying to get on a ferry yeah they it was very titanic they were like there's yeah. more room on the boat yeah. yeah look at these boats they're half full yeah. 
<laughs> so many jokes. Yeah. You know, it's a thing, Rose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I've done the calculations and <laughs> it appears that there's more room on this ferry. <laughs> that scene can only be proved if, is if uh, Kate wins on a gigantic calculator and she just interrupted the scene and started typing on it. Uh, I did laugh out loud, though, in that scene. I felt bad about it. It was when the ferry, like, spun out and got mud all over the people behind them that were still on the shore. <laughs> you laughed at that? I couldn't help it. That's kind of funny. I mean, it's like, fuck you guys. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, but then you have a nice hero moment where the son is, you know, trying to save the people that are on the other side. He climbs up on the rail, and it's a little annoying, but it's nice that Tom Cruise kind of, you know, sees that he's a good kid. You have that kind of moment. Oh, yeah. And before this, there was the scene when Dakota Fanning went to go to use the bathroom. The army drove by and he starts screaming. The son, start, yeah. Robbie, starts screaming at the army, come take me with you. Take me. That's not how it works. Right. What is he going to do? Yeah. You, what's he going to do? You can't just join the army. No. And even if he, I don't know why he assumes that he can just jump on board. I, I, well, I mean, again, this is going back to. 9-11 and a lot of people yes. enlisted in the army after right that's well so that's i don't a, know if they're what they're trying to if they're trying to say that that's kind but, of the only way it makes sense to me it, it, it's just sort of capturing that impulse because it, in in the narrative movie it, like it makes no sense like what's he gonna do you know are they gonna just invite him to the tank and like hey press that button you know it doesn't well, yeah i mean e even if you did enlist in the army you start very very low right you go through like probably a year of training before you actually even go anywhere so it's just it's also kind of seems like this i don't know like privilege like he just feels like he could be should be able to get on there and go and fight it's like no you're not in the army you can't dude. yeah so i see it a couple ways i see it as capturing again somewhat I, I mean i remember the impulse and that was you know there was a lot of that you know people like you know fight by night living like absolutely let's go kick some ass join the army that's what he wants to do and, and they're just sort of showing that whether it really makes sense in the universe of the movie or not and also, I kind of wondered, and I, I don't think this is the case. Um, I mean, it's a fairly cynical movie, but it's not that cynical. But showing, like, the futility of that, you know, like, almost, like, commenting on, like, it's a very dark movie. But, you know, at the end, it sort of reveals itself as ultimately, you know, Steven Spielberg. He can, he can only, I mean, he's gone dark before. I mean, AI exists. But I don't think he's <laughs> but, quite but, but, going Robbie there. has not shown any initiative uh, he did, can't write a paper. He takes care of his sister. Yes, he try. He helps. Well, he a few said people. he wrote the paper. <laughs> Get to it. But then there's just like this disconnect of like where does it that go from there? And also after nine eleven, I mean we had had this fear of terrorism. I mean we under this is something that we can understand a little bit more than tripods coming out of the earth. I think we we have a a person we can look at, a real human being that we know is causing this. So I can see the impulse of going to fight this. There is a way to fight this. But in this movie, like there are tripods coming out of the earth. There's not like, he's like, we need, I got to go get them. We got to go fight them. It's like, but you don't even know how. Well, so that's what's interesting though. Here's what he says. And I didn't notice this until recently. Um, but so the scene, and I'm just skipping the scene where they're, you know, with all the army tanks going up the hill, attacking the tripods. And he's like, I want to go. What he actually says is, um, and I'm talking about Robbie. He doesn't say I have to, I've always read it as him saying, I have to fight. I have to do this. He doesn't say that at all. He, what he says is, I want to see this. I have to see this. 
yeah. which is interesting. He like he has to be a spectator, like he has to be a part of it, which is a completely different read to me than I have to like participate. I have to see this. So what's that about? I don't really have a good read on it, but and that's why I wonder like is there something else going on with that character? Uh, like like some sort of commentary. It is a strange line. I do remember that when yeah. I saw the movie. It's like, does he feel like he's going to be missing out? Right, right. Like he's, and that goes back to your line about privilege, or like his privilege to be a part of this fight or something. Like he deserves it. He needs to be a hero or something. I have to see this. I can't quite make heads or tails of it, um, but I, 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 I would posit that there's. I just think there's something more going on with him. I'm not saying it's well executed because it ultimately comes down to an annoying character <laughs> that yeah. does mystifying things get to that scene real quick and so they all get on the ferry and you think and then they get separated from their friends their friends don't make it and you think oh that sucks and then that the thing comes out of the water so scary yeah another tripod comes out of the water just like the mosasaurus in jurassic world (laughs) comes out of the water and fucks their whole ferry up it's so scary and it, it reminded me a lot of it might have been 1917 when they, or one of the world war movies I've seen recently, maybe it was Dunkirk, um, where the guys would finally like get on a new boat and then that boat would get blown up, you know, and then they get onto another boat. Oh, that was Dunkirk, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then that boat would get blown up by a submarine or something, you know, and it's just like, there's, you can't be safe ever. And so they're so lucky to get off the boat, survive the crash, survive not getting... This is when you first see people getting pulled up into it, yeah, right? Yeah, From the point and, of view of like the, the lake or the river or whatever. It's very yeah. creepy. So they're lucky enough to survive that, get out of the water, and then you see the army trucks going over the hill to try and fight it because there's more coming down from the hill. Dakota Fanning sees them. And that's when it's just... We'll get back to Robbie's character. It's just... it's. It, He's walking into death too. Like, what are you going to go see? Because eventually, but see, even that you don't. I don't really get the impulse that he's like sacrificing himself, or that he's. No, I don't think he's sacrificing himself. He just seems stupid. Exactly, he seems stupid and shallow, and it only makes sense to me if it's some sort of weird commentary because it doesn't really fit the character. It's annoying. He's not going to accomplish anything. He's leaving his sisters. Everything you said, it doesn't. And that's a terrifying scene because she's left alone. Because Tom Cruise is having to go and deal with her brother. Deal with his bullshit. And this couple is trying to take her because they think that she needs help. So apparently that couple is the couple from the 50s War of the Worlds. I learned that what? today. Yeah. I've never seen the 50s version or 50s or 60s. They're the couple from that movie. Which That's is, crazy. you know, every movie is completely different. They, you know, they don't really have the same through line. So in that movie is a couple. That's amazing. And that was the last movie that the guy who, that they, they list him as grandmother and grandfather. And so, like, the grandfather, who was, I guess, probably the main character in the 50s movie, that was the last movie he did, and then he died. So, that's kind of nice. That's amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, so that's scary when they're trying to take her. And she's like, no, but no, that's very, it's, it's very much like child in a supermarket scene, like boss. <gasps> oh, yes. And she's like, no, my, my brother and my dad are right over there. And they're like, yeah, shut up, kid. Like, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh, and they're not really listening. They see a lost kid. It's very scary. Uh, and so, Tom Cruise can't deal with the older kids' nonsense has to go deal with Dakota Fanning. Well, that's what makes me so angry, too, is because of his nonsense, his sister is suffering. His sister is upset, and he leaves her. I, I would never be able to forgive my brother. 
Yeah. I don't I don't see how that character Rachel could ever forgive. Her yeah, he's Bobby. he's not being brave by doing what he thinks he's doing. He would be braver by helping out his sister. But also he says, I have to see this. You just fucking saw it. Right. Which, you just got knocked off a boat by one of them. Yeah. There's one right there. There he is. You saw it. Let's go. If we're supposed to sympathize with him or think it's heroic, it just doesn't work. I'll put it that way. I'm just not sure the movie wants us to do that. Okay. But for the ending, uh, I think it'd be more of an interesting thing to think yes. about. I think that would be a big save to the movie. The ending kind of ruins it. Yeah. Because uh, it takes away the stakes of it. Yes. Um, but anyway, so Tim Robbins. He kind of switches gears and it becomes, a, you know, very interesting. Yeah, that whole that whole scene kind of almost stands alone. Um, so I did some reading. And so Tim Robbins, there's some version of that character in the book. So that kind of comes from the book. Or there's maybe a composite character. But there is some scene oh, okay, uh, okay. in a basement with a survivalist type. So that's kind of where that comes from. It's apparently not from out of nowhere that's kind of the, maybe one of the hooks from the that they kind of took on when they adapting it but that whole scene is you know what it reminds me of our conversation from a night of living dead yeah where you had the sort of conflict between the people in the basement <laughs> and the people upstairs and this uh-huh. idea about well do you fight or do you just hide slash survive and that same conflict is presented here except the irony is that tim robbins tim robbins is in the basement and he's wanting to fight and tom uh-huh. cruise is above or like drag from above and he's the one that just wants to hide and survive so i kind of wondered if you know obviously spielberg has seen you know night living dead you know probably a thousand times i wonder if this is some sort of flip on that i wonder there is a lot of basement stuff like you had said yeah and the Night of the Living Dead, the basement is very important yeah, in the movie. And there's just and it also represents even that like the upstairs downstairs type thing. I mean, it's who's in charge. It, yeah. Yeah. So the fact that they even talked about that conflict, they actually talked about Tim Robinson's whole speech about how we should fight, and, and of course, in the, the context of the movie is like, no, you're that's insane. It's kind of the same thing that Robbie did in a way. Like that we cannot fight. There's nothing to fight. We will get killed immediately. But why didn't Tom Cruise just leave? Just leave him there in the basement? Well, a he doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> Again, I don't think he's, he's supposed to be this brave hero type. He's reacting the whole movie. He sees shelter. But what he does to Tim Robbins is a calculated decision. Yes. And arguably, that's, I mean, this is a kind of a dark way of looking at it, but that's arguably the most heroic things he does. It's, it's an actual decision he makes for the sake of his daughter. But why doesn't he just take her and leave? Good question. What he's trying to do is not draw attention to the machines because they're like right there. Right. And they're, you know, sending out their tentacles. And he's just trying to keep everybody quiet. And Tim Robbins is going absolutely nuts. And he's like, this can't happen. Okay, so they run down. They meet Tim Robbins. First, they see him okay. Um, I like the scene when, like, Tom Cruise asked him, did you lose anybody? And Tim Robbins was just like, I lost everybody. He's like, you, you didn't have anybody. <laughs> No one's there with you. You're a crazy person. Yeah, three cats. They all died. I'm surprised he didn't. Like, yeah, I lost my wife. You know, um, her name was uh, Fuzzy. Victoria. <laughs> yeah, and my son, Treddy. And then the scene with the snake thing is very cool. Yeah, it gave me um, very much um, Velociraptor kitchen vibes. Oh, very much. And the um, spiders in Minority Report. Yeah, but also remind like, me of, you know, the scene from The Abyss where the yes, little yes, thing, yes, that's what thing I was gonna comes say. out. Except the scene, that scene's not really scary. I mean, I don't think it's really supposed to be. It's supposed to be like, you know, you know yeah, all, all inspiring, whatever. Yeah, but the yeah. scene in uh, 
I thought the scene there was scary, especially when Dakota Fanning just turns around the things right there in her face. I really liked the aliens. I did not remember that we saw them. I was so excited. Yeah, when I watched it, not last night, because I remember that, but maybe even just in September, I completely forgot about that. It's like, oh, you see the aliens. I, I forgot and about that. that was, I mean, they kind of like skitter down yeah. to the basement. It was I like when they play when they bicycle wheel. Yes. It's very cool. <laughs> they like passing around a picture like, what is this? <laughs> I think they're adorable. They're, they're cool. And I like that they're just kind of little soldiers, right? Yeah. And then their machine goes beep and they go, oh, time to go. Yeah. What'd you get? What'd you get, Fred? What'd you get? And they run back up. Yeah, I kind of wonder if the idea is not that they're necessarily looking for anybody, but they're just sort of exploring. You know, like, yeah, like, I guess so. Like, what's this structure? It's so creepy when Tom Cruise puts his hand out and he like the blood. But you know, we don't know it's blood at that point. It's like red stuff is flying through oh, the air. Oh, yeah, yeah. But then you actually see like a giant needle thing go into a dude and like suck the blood out of him. Yeah. That freaked me out, too. That might have been why I texted you. This is, this is terrifying. Yeah, well, that's what freaks... Tim Robbins now. That's what absolutely breaks him. And that's when he really you Oh, know, yeah. Starts, he's talking about blood and... Yeah. yeah, he just can't deal. He's already sort of lost a little bit. I mean, I believe he's apparently lost somebody. I mean, Tim Robbins... I mean, Bull Durham, he was a good-looking guy. Uh, <laughs> so was this... This is obviously after Shawshank. Yeah, when, this is like 10 years When after. was Mystic River? Oh, I don't know. Around the same time, I think. Hmm. Maybe. I love that movie. After, yeah. I, I mean, I think it was good in this I, I'm, I'm, I didn't know that there was like any kind of I've seen every time I look up a review of this movie though they always comment on this bizarre Tim Robbins scene I agree it's a bizarre Tim Robbins scene but I just think he's doing what's asked of him I do too yeah. I do too uh, I think it's great and you know he has that same Mystic River accent uh, maybe Does he? I feel like it yeah 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 you're right you're right so Ray decides he has to do away with him and he like I wrote that he bird box rachel because he puts that <laughs> that's the first thing i thought about i can't see a bandana around eyes without yeah. thinking about bird rachel box. will see enough of this point by the way yeah, yeah. and uh that's kind of sweet that he is trying to protect her but he doesn't quite like you said he doesn't quite know how to do it like this is what you do right the scene where um she's trying to be comforted dakota fanning and she says she asked him to sing some lullaby which is some lullaby that that her mother obviously sings to her. And he's like... Yeah, well, in Elvish, obviously. You're yeah, right, of course. And he's like, I don't know that. And then she says another one. He's like, yeah, I don't know that one either. It's just so sad. He doesn't know any lullabies. He doesn't know any songs to sing to her. Because he's, you know... I know. It's just not what he does. And then, so he rebounds by singing Little Deuce Coop. But he, he but he's kind of crying because... I, I read it as A. He's He feels like he's not protecting her. And he's not capable of what he's what she expects of him hey he doesn't know all the right songs it's such a great way of showing that he just you know doesn't feel like he's up to this job and it's just you know that's i think classic sort of spielberg like i feel like maybe he maybe wrote that like i just don't know that lullaby and it's just a great way of summarizing everything he doesn't know but then and i, I guess that was before then you get to the moment with where he has to you know kill tim robbins i mean it's a very obviously setup scene like because Tom Cruise comes in and it's like blackened in the doorway and he's looming yeah. in the door. But I think it's really creepy because also like Tim Robbins kind of knows what's about to happen. He's not, I guess, that far gone that he's like, okay. And then I guess he like, was he kill him with his bare hands? It's, I mean, it's, Tim Robbins is like twice his size too. So I'm not sure how that works, but yeah, I think they get a good night's sleep after the, after the murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, can finally rest. To kind of any berries and 
And then, that, like you said, that eye thing is back and it sees her. So she freaks out. Right in her face. And runs out of the house. Right. And Tom Cruise goes to find her. He can't find her. And that scene, that's whatever the, however they set that up is so cool looking. Okay, here's what I was going to talk about. <laughs> so that scene when Tom, okay, so she's missing. She's obviously been poor. Well, she runs out of the house. He yeah. runs up the stairs. And and then what they do is they do a riff on Wizard of Oz. When what? when When Dorothy leaves the black and white house and goes down to the color world, you know? Uh-huh. Like when she leaves the, the house, she'll, they land in Oz. She wakes up from the bed. The tornadoes drop the house. She goes down to the living room. It's still black and white. She opens the door and it's color, right? That famous yeah. scene? Yeah. He does that same shot here. Wow. Yeah. It's shot the exact same way. Tom Cruise is, leaves. Well, he leaves the basement. He walks to this sort of living room. The shot is, I feel in my memory, almost identical. It's this sort of weird. It's not quite black and white because it's, you know, but it's not color either. It's very gray, muted tones because it's night. He opens the door just like an Oz, and it's all this red and beautiful color, disturbing yes. color. So it's this yes. nightmare reversal of Oz. I'm not saying that that means anything. It's just a fucking cool moment. And that's exactly that is very cool. If you watch it again, it's unmistakable. And I and I Googled, and I looked on online and I can't find where anyone's really discussed that. So I feel like this is a Chris discovery. That's amazing. Yes. And so I guarantee you, this is just me and my color nonsense. If you watch it, it is unmistakable what he's referencing. That's amazing. Yes. Thank you. We should do Wizard of Oz too, by the way. Scary movie. It's the first movie that scared me. I think I've talked about that in the podcast. I know. But anyway, yeah. So he goes out. He sees all the red, not the red, uh, what do you call it? Um, they're like vines. I yeah. mean, I guess they're like veins, right? Yeah. I think kinda the idea like, is that it looks like the upside down. Yes. Yeah. It's very similar to that. So I think the idea is they're recreating earth to be more like i guess their planet um maybe i'm not really sure or maybe those veins are like actually just sucking everything out oh i don't know yeah but they definitely know what they're doing they have a plan yeah but it's 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 a beautiful shot in a way i mean it's this very bright it's so cool looking yeah it really is yeah but it's terrifying it's funny because like in so many horror movies there's always not always but there's usually a scene of someone getting into a car the car won't start or they lost their keys right killers outside or the whatever it is trying to get them trying to get them right and they have this in there he gets into a car yeah that's right yeah it's like friday the 13th part two yeah (laughs) and the little tentacle thing gets tries to get into the car breaks the windows and stuff that's the first thing i thought or like scream i mean it's in so many horror movies yeah so this is a horror movie there we go. Remind me a little bit of a quiet place when they're trying to, you know, kind of get in the car and the things burst in. And Oh, yeah. When Dakota Fanning got picked up, I was just like, I don't understand how this is going to. Yeah. And it's such a cool shot because he sees it through the windshield and there's like a little bullet hole or something in the windshield. He sees her through that and she's center frame. And it's just very, it's like something off the cover of a movie poster or something. It's just kind of perfectly composed shot. Much less when she gets yanked up into the machine. It's just terrifying. Well, then when he gets yanked up, then I'm thinking, well, okay, there's now what's going to happen. And when they dropped him <laughs> into a basket full of people, I freaked out. That freaked me out. <laughs> so something about the idea of just like all these people like being picked up and stuffed into people baskets. It's scary. Terrifying. Yeah, it's scary. I like when they all kind of pitch in to help him not be sucked up into the 
Which is just what happens in Finding Nemo. (laughs) One of the fish gets into it. And they all say, swim down, swim down. I had that in my notes, swim down. Yeah, Yeah, that's good Now, it is a little cheesy, like with the grenades and puts them in. I'll allow it, me too. It reminds me of like, you know, the end of Spider-Man where it's like the New Yorkers start throwing this stuff at the Green Goblin and they're like, you mess with New York, you mess with all, and whatever it is. It's just like, okay, I'll allow it, I'll allow it. Um, because it's such a scary scene and Dakota Fanning is in there a little, you know, she's all traumatized and, and I mean, he does essentially save them from this one, but he may not have, you know, like, um, cause they die soon after we learn. Yeah. Maybe it wouldn't matter. So he maybe not, he, maybe they, he would have died before. So it's not like he saved the world. He's not no. Will Smith running that. I don't even remember what happens. He, he says, welcome to earth, the, welcome to earth, bitch. Uh, <laughs> So then they start walking. They're finally getting to Boston. One of the tripods falls and vomits. I thought that was kind of funny. Like it opens up and up. It really does, right? It's like, <laughs> <laughs> It throws up all this goo. But yeah, so um, people did complain about the ending proper, but that's that's just from the book. They just adapted that correctly. You know. Oh, they thought it was silly that they died just from our germs. Like they right. I've read that, but I think, you know, it's whether or not it's silly or not, I don't know, but that's that's not really any device of the screenwriters or Spielberg. They're just, that's where the world is. That's what happens. I mean, that doesn't bother me. No. Because, I mean, like you said, it was millions of years ago that they buried these machines. They left. They come back. Life has evolved. I do see how it's anticlimactic. Uh, and I, I guess to the extent you expect you know, some sort of battle or something, or Tom Cruise, like I said, to sort of defeat all the devices or some big Independence Day battle. I guess at this point, you're not quite expecting it, but you're expecting the Avengers. Right, right. So in, in the sense that it just sort of ends, I, I, I can get why people were really mad about that. Yeah, I don't know what a good alternate ending would be. I mean, there's no way that they could blow up all of those machines, unless they were just in New York or yeah. something. So, I mean, if you're watching the movie a certain way, you know, for the plot, <laughs> I can see how that'd be <laughs> annoying. But if you're... Especially because they're, they're all over the world, too. Like, yeah. I mean, what is going to happen? Yeah. But I, I think that's... I mean, I hate to say there's a wrong way to watch a movie, but the movie's just not really about those details. It's about the horror. It's about every little kind of moment. You know, it's not really about what the aliens are even about or why they're there. I mean, they kind of alluded to that or um, it's just about the experience of it. So once you kind of know that, you know, the second time I watched it or third time, I, I had no problem with that. It's like, okay, well, I'm glad it's over, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of a relief, right? Right, right. And, and when, once you know that, even the way they do that, it's pretty cool. Like I said, the sort of vomiting and this way, that all seems very kind of, I'm not realistic, but, you know, it sort of is just as mysterious as the appearance of the creatures in the first place, if that makes sense. Like, none of it makes sense. Right, yeah. I also yeah. kind of feel like it's it's enough death. It's enough destruction. Yes. I'm glad that it's all ending now. Right. And so if the whole experience of the movie is to help process this sort of psych- psychic trauma, which I'm <laughs> convinced it is, even if it maybe didn't work, but it's sort of not really important how it resolves because it's important that you're able to experience it and sort of deal with those emotions in a movie theater and it doesn't really matter whether they win or lose because we didn't no one won on 9-11 either you know the one thing that we would change wholeheartedly right (laughs) he finally gets back to boston he gets to boston looks okay it's not too destroyed and he gets to 
his ex-wife's house, and Robbie is there. Yes. For how no, did he get there? How did he get there? Why is he there? Did he is he AWOL? Did he leave the army? <laughs> <laughs> did the army say we're good? We don't need you. Go to your mother's house. Why wouldn't he have gone back? Is to- he general now? And he's in charge. <laughs> did he win? Did he win the war? <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many questions, and it, and is I think what bothers people, rightly so, because it bugs the shit on me, is it's, just, it's such an obvious move just to have some sort of closure and to make you feel good. But in doing so, because it's so against the grain of the rest of the movie, it's almost it sticks out more as like this sort of sentimental right. kind of. Uh, I mean, it's pretty brutal. The you know, eighty five percent of the movie is a pretty brutal movie. I mean, some of the letterbox reviews I read last night, which are all hilarious, which there's one review that just said Spielberg went too hard, <laughs> 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 which I thought was funny, but until he didn't. And I, I it, you know, I think that's what bugs people. It's not that he survived. It's that it's such an obvious sort of olive branch or uh, thing to the audience. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. This will make you feel better, that type of thing. And it's just like, we know we're, this is not that type of movie. We're not here for that. Yeah, I think even with, if we keep Robbie's strange reactions to the army and wanting to join, if he wasn't there at the end, I think that that would have changed a lot of it. Yeah. How powerful would it have been if, if, you know, he got there, Tom Cruise gets there, and then the mother says, well, where's Robbie? And it, it would just be like, well, I don't know. That would be so cool because that's – not cool, but that would be kind of the experience of, you know, right. um, what maybe, you know, because that would that would reflect on the next three or four years with people being in Iraq and kind of having to deal with that. And that would you know, I, I would be OK with that or I, I'm not sure I necessarily want to be dead or something, you know, but just to lay, to leave that layering question. Yes, that would be more honest. Um, so it's just a cop out. It's a cop out. And I really I would love to have like the oral history or whatever of that decision to have that happen. Is it just a matter of that was in the screenplay? I kind of doubt it. I just feel like Spielberg's like, you know what? I just I just really need this ending. You can't just go off over a hill that's on fire. Yeah. And then just show back up at your mom's house before them. Yeah. Honestly, the better movie would be is if that character just didn't exist. It was just Tom Cruise and Dakota Fanning. Wouldn't really be that different. You're right. That would be perfect. Just Tom Cruise learning how to take care of her to the extent yes. he's to. There's no bratty son. It wouldn't fundamentally change the arc of the picture. But, I mean, with all that ending, I would say, like, I w- watched it that night, and I was like, this is great. And I was going to watch it. At, I was like, I think I might watch that again tomorrow night. But my subscription for my rental was over so i immediately went and i got it on 4k oh did you really oh cool so i so apparently i'm all in (laughs) so i mean that kind of tells you like apparently i enjoyed it overall i I mean i gave it four and a half stars on letterbox the missing half star being for the kid (laughs) yeah i agree Um, i think four and a half is good you know ultimately it's the type of movie like you judge it on what it sets out to do it does that thing perfectly except for the ending so and i i guess i mean i don't think he has done a movie in that vein since i know things kind of shifted did they become like more like historical yeah and... yeah he did munich the same year he did that munich the same year how crazy is that that is crazy um, i do love munich, munich though. Is that's so pretty good. terrifying yeah, yeah but i mean i think we'd agree it's not a, in a different way lincoln at some point uh whatever the bfg is <laughs> uh, radio player one um so that's at least more in the sci-fi vein i guess that was at least interesting well, so also in 2005, Batman Begins came out. Oh, yeah. 
That's interesting. Sin City, Fantastic Four, that notoriously bad one. Revenge of the Sith. Because uh, remember, it came out the same time as Batman Begins, because I saw both of them. Yeah, it was a good summer. Oh, King Kong came out, came out that year, too. Brokeback Mountain. Oh, really? That was 2005? Grizzly Man. Golly, I remember 2005. Great year. Because it was only like a couple years ago. <laughs> right. I don't know. All right. Well, stay tuned for next week, and we'll see what true stuff we talk about it has to do with the world of worlds. Maybe we just talk about, like, Tom Cruise's social life. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Try not to get sued. Um, Oprah's couch. Absolutely. Well, that was fun. Uh, so we're done for now with Spielberg, unless he does another thriller or horror movie, which, you know, cross your fingers. <laughs> so I guess next week, in, um, or whenever we do this, we don't know what we'll do, but it'll, I would suppose it'll be more uh, in the vein of a traditional horror horror movie. Would you agree? Yeah, okay. maybe Stephen King or maybe one from the pop chart. We'll see. So um, please remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Yes, please. Did I say that right? Yes. And follow us on social media, and we post pictures and stuff. It's fun. Yes. All right. Well, thank you. Good night. Good night.